A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehuda Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites. I hope everyone is safe and healthy and well. Um, we have a Chabad Lubavitch topic uh, for this uh, coming episode, so I thought it was appropriate to open up with, um, unfortunately, the tragic passing just uh, a couple of days ago of Reb Label Groner who was a led the legendary secretary of the Rebbe for about over 40 years, I believe, and a very special man, a very uh, incredible individual. And um, I was actually privileged to meet him once. He was flown in to uh, lead the Gimel Tammuz Fabrengen at the local shul, the Chabad shul in the neighborhood. And I met him, and what struck me as interesting is here is this, this world-famous a uh, guy, one of the most, the biggest people in Chabad, one of the closest people to the Rebbe, maybe the closest person to the Rebbe. And this was just a couple of years ago. He's right in his late 80s. He was brought in to lead a Fabrengen, and it was around Mayrev time, and he, I saw him turn to a young child who was next to him, who was near him, who was part of the community, no one that he knew. And he instructed the child and smiled at him and guided him in saying Yeheshmei Rabbah in the upcoming Kaddish. He says, we're going to say it together, we get ready, we're going to say Kaddish, you're going to say Yeheshmei Rabbah with me, and do the mitzvah. And it, 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 with such a simplicity and such a warmth and such a uh, genuine realness to him that I saw that someone who could be that famous and that high up, but at the end of the day, he sees himself, despite his fame and age, as just a shliach, a shliach to inspire others to do mitzvahs and to come closer to to God and uh, to do the right thing. And uh, that was a, you know, a nice simplicity that I uh, myself witnessed. Um, and uh, his memory should be for a blessing. I also want to, another Chabad-related thing before I get to the episode itself, I received a letter from a listener which was also Chabad-related. So uh, we'll bring that in also. A lot, getting a lot of feedback from a lot of listeners. Here's just one letter. We had a episode recently dedicated to the international dateline story in 
Japan during the war. And um, during that during that story, I mentioned that there was a response to the Dateline in question from the Friedrich Rebbe, from the previous Rebbe, the Rayats, um, to the question of where the Dateline is. So I received this correction from an outstanding and dedicated and incredibly knowledgeable um, Jewish History Soundwise listener. So I'm just going to read you a short excerpt from the letter. Here it is. I want to make a correction which is very important. I would even ask that you make the correction on your podcast because people make this mistake. In regards to the Rebbe Rayats and the International Dateline, as far as I know, he never, ever, ever expressed an opinion on this matter. No such telegram ever existed. Menachem Kasher saw it in some article and decided to publicize it. They are all gone now, but when the surviving Chabad students were asked about it, every single one said there was no such thing. And that's the end of the quote. He goes on uh, at quite length to bring quite a few sources to back him up, which are very convincing. So it would seem that he is correct in his correction and there is no such response or telegram from the Rebbe Rayats. Okay, so now I want to talk a little bit. You know, Erev Pesach, or right before Erev Pesach, Yud Gimel Nisan was the yard site of the Tzemach Tzedek, the third Rebbe of Chabad. And and um, and uh, I remember a, a story uh, a few years ago. I was speaking to a Chabad rabbi in the neighborhood, and um, I said, I pointed out to him, I said, in the Tzerv Pesach, you can't make a big fabrengen for the Tzemach Tzedek's yard site. And pity, he was such a great person, and it's probably so much fun to talk about him and everything. And we can't even make a fabrengen because it's Tzerv Pesach. So he told me that when he was younger, and he was in Crown Heights, he said that the Rebbe, the last Rebbe, used to make a fabrengen on Yud Gimel Nisan, for the Tzemach Tzedek's yard site for several hours. And sometimes he would do it at the end of the yard site. So it would be the night of Bedikas Chametz, and he would go on for hours making a fabrengen for the Tzemach Tzedek's yard site to show that there's no gvulais, no boundaries. You go, you, you fabreng, and, you know, Pesach will get taken care of in its right time. So, uh, to fill that in a little bit, so we missed it Pesach, and of course we can't have a ring in this year anyway, so we'll speak a little bit about the following the passing of the Tamach Tzedek and the splits in Chabad among his children, which was during, uh, you know, the latter part of the 19th century, it was the only time that the Chabad movement split into several different courts, several different dynasties, which is an interesting story. So, the Tzemach Tzedek's passing actually happened uh, at a very terrible month for the Hasidic movement in general. There were three of the greatest leaders in the Hasidic world who died within three weeks of each other. First was the Chidushi Harim of Ger, the first Ger Rebbe in, in Poland. And uh, that same week, just a few days later, was the Radomskers. Uh, death this is in 1866, the Teferes Shloima of Radomsk. And then a couple of weeks later, the Tzemach Tzedek of Chabad, um, they, 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 the, all three of them passed away. It was a devastating blow in such close proximity. Three of the greatest tzaddikim of the generation in, in that uh, short period of time in 1866. And during the time of the Tzemach Tzedek was the rise of Lubavitch as the center of the movement. Um, we know that Chabad as a Hasidic uh, 
A dynasty has two names. It's called Chabad, and it's also called known as Lubavitch. Chabad was the name given to it, or given because of, as a result of the first Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe, the Baal HaTanya, Rabbi Shneir Zalman. And he did not live in Lubavitch. He lived in Liad, first in Lyozhna, then in Liadi. And he's buried in Hadich in the Ukraine. He was running away from the Napoleonic invasion of Russia in 1812, and he ended up in the Ukraine. In Hadich, that's where we go to today when we go to his his gravesite, and um, and uh, so he never lived in Lubavitch. His son, the Mitla Rebbe, moved to Lubavitch, and Lubavitch became the home of the Chabad movement for about a century, for close to a hundred years before they had to leave it once again during World War One. The Rebbe Rashab left Lubavitch and never to return. And it was bounced around in a bunch of different places until it finally settled down uh, um, a few decades later in Brooklyn, where it remains till today. So the the um, so it has both names. It's Chabad and Lubavitch, and it really rose to prominence and fame as a center in the Tzemach Tzedek's time. It was an incredible leader, a tremendous Talmud Chacham, who was you know not didn't limit himself to Hasidus, literally every area of Torah, a prolific writer. He was a Paisik in Halacha, and he was a very strong and dynamic leader as far as the Russian Jewish community under the Tsars was were concerned. His the main main years of his leadership, Tsar Nikolai the first, um, who was no friend of the Jews. Not that any of the Tsars were friends of the Jews, but especially not Nikolai the first. Uh, the Cantonist decrees were during that time, and the Tzemach Tzedek did much to uh, to try to you know alleviate that distress and that crisis within the Jewish people in Russia. He tried to help the Jewish community by thinking of new economic ideas. Jews in the Pale of Settlement in Russia were very severely restricted economically with jobs they could enter, and there was terrible poverty. He tried to um, encourage settlement for Jews in Russia for agriculture. Right? It's a very pioneering uh, thought that a Hasidic rebbe would try to settle Jews for agricultural to work be farmers. And in fact, the Tsar's government looked on that with favor. They thought it would be very productive for the Russian economy if Jews would go into agriculture. And because of that, the Tzemach Tzedek, and his descendants were bestowed with the honorary, with honorary citizenship um, from the from the Tsar's government themselves, to um, to, to, uh, to, to in, because of his activities in uh, in, uh, in Jewish settlement for agriculture. He also would travel to Saint Petersburg, him or his emissaries, to uh, to intercede with the government for different decrees. He even himself met was in St. Petersburg in 1843 for a rabbinic conference with Tsarist government officials, which I mentioned in the context of of uh, another episode uh, of a story of Jewish history. In in that context, he met in uh, Rabitzel of Alojin, which was the beginning of the reconciliation between the Hasidic world in Russia and the Misnagdic world. Um, which the, these both, you know, the Tzemach Tzedek being a grandchild, both himself and through his wife, of the Alter Rebbe, uh, the first Rebbe of Chabad. And Rebbe Tzlovalazhin, of course, comes from the world of the Vilna Gain and Rebbe Chaim Velazhin. And here the two of them meet to, in, with a recognition that what the, the, the influences of modern times and the challenges of modern times of the Tsarist government's attempts at 
reform of the Jewish people and their way of life and the influence of the Haskalah which was rising in Russia and they realized that the bearers of tradition would be wise for them to unite and rejoin forces. So that also took place during the Tzemach Tzedek's time. So there's really a lot to say about the Tzemach Tzedek himself and his influence, but we're not going to dwell on that too much. We're going to focus more on what happened when the Tzemach Tzedek dies, and there's a split, these splits within Chabad after he dies, and really what happens is, is that there's a decline of Lubavitch as the center of the movement. Um, the Tzemach Tzedek has seven sons and two daughters. One son died in his lifetime, died relatively young. He was left with six sons. He used to walk into the base Medrash in Lubavitch, surrounded by his six sons. He would stand in the middle with three sons on each side, and they said it was like the Shiva Kenei Menorah, like the seven branches of the Menorah, with the three branches on each side, towards the center where the Tzemach Tzedek himself was. It was an aristocratic look, a royal look, a regal look. Now what happens is when he dies, is that the oldest son decides that he's not going to become Rebbe, he doesn't become Rebbe, and the other five do become Rebbes. Now, you'll think that this oldest son lost out, all five of his brothers became Rebbes, this oldest son's name was Rebarach Shalom, he actually got the last laugh, because the last Lubavitcher Rebbe was a descendant of this Rebarach Shalom. So his descendant actually became the Rebbe. So uh, he got he got he got the last laugh out of that deal. However, the youngest the other five um, became rebbes in their each in their own right. The youngest son was the rebbe in Lubavitch, the Maharash, the fourth rebbe of Chabad, known as for his famous saying Lechatchila Ariber. He said a whole Torah of what the proper approach to uh, to Lechatchila uh, Ariber to jump in to go to the try to shoot and aim for the top first. It's a, a song associated with it. That's a story about the Maharash. We'll save that also for another time. And he remains in Lubavitch, and that and that remains one of the one of now one of the many centers of of the Chabad movement. So we go to the second oldest, um, Rabbi Huda Leib. He is the founder of the large and influential Kapust uh, Chabad dynasty, which was probably of the different branches that branched down, the most influential, probably the largest also in the latter half of the 19th century, lasted a long time, had a lot of adherence, a lot of Hasidim, and we'll get back to Kapust in a couple of minutes after we go quickly through a quick summary of the other brothers. The third brother, of Chaim Shneir Zalman, he starts the Chabad Liadi. He goes back to where his great-grandfather, the um, the, uh, the Alter Rebbe, um, uh, lived, Liadi, where the dynasty essentially started, and it lasts through his son, also Rechaim Shneir Zalman's son, continues the dynasty of Chabad, Liadi, and he goes back to Liadi because he says, that's what the Pasuk says, the fourth generation returns, and he's going back to where the movement started, and he's going back to Liadi where the Alter Rebbe was. He's also named. His name is Shneir Zalman. He's, and Chaim was added on when he got sick. So he was named after his illustrious uh, ancestor. And um, and he 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 has dynasty there. The fourth brother, Rabbi Yisrael Noyach, he starts Chabad Nizhin. Now ironically, Liadi was the home of the Alter Rebbe. And Nizhin is the burial place of the Mittler Rebbe, the second Rebbe of Chabad. 
So you have, they're really going back to their roots. It's too bad that none of the brothers went to Hadish, where the Alter Rebbe was buried, because then we would have more to talk about when we go to Hadish. It would be Chabad Hadish. That would be another interesting spin on it, but there isn't any. But there's Chabad Nizhin. He had a yeshiva there as well. In fact, one of the great leaders of the Jewish people of the next generation, Rabbi Hudalayb Tzirulsin, the Kishinevarov, who was one of the founders of Agudis Yisrael, who was an interesting personality. There's a lot to talk about him also. Fascinating personality. Died at the beginning of the war. He's one of the leaders of Romanian Jewry. Right, so he actually started off, he learned in the Chabad Yeshiva of Chabad Nizhin. The fifth brother, his name was Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak, and he was a Rebbe in Avruch. Now Avruch wasn't really a Chabad. And not only that, he became Rebbe while his father was still alive. He... he 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 was the he married into a Chernobyl family. He married a granddaughter of Ramatul Chernobyler, the, the great uh, Chernobyl Rebbe, and he became a Chernobyl style Rebbe while his father, the Tzemach Tzedek, was alive. And his father was not happy about. It. His father was not too excited about the prospect of his son becoming that. There were certain Chabad aspects of his court, but it was really more a, a Chernobyl type of run court. And that also continued in, in, in that direction following his passing. So that already took place before. So those are the different branches of Chabad. Some lasted longer, some lasted shorter, some lasted only one generation, some two or three generations. And we'll go back to Kapus because that actually was the largest and most influential. And this is during a time where there's a decline of the centrality of Lubavitch as the center, which only returns much, much later. And Kapus... In, in a way, becomes more influential. Rabbi Hudalayb, who was that uh, second brother, he, he uh, dies shortly after his father, only a few months later, where he already had many Hasidim. He was older, he was the, the oldest brother who became a Rebbe. He wasn't the oldest, but he was the oldest one who became the Rebbe. He, as a young child, knew his grandfather, his great-grandfather, the Alter Rebbe, so that already made him, uh, you know, a certain mystique about him. That he, he, he saw the source, he saw the one who started the dynasty, and he dies a few months later, and his son, Reb Shleim Zalman, becomes the Kapusta Rebbe. And he's really the, the famous Kapusta Rebbe for a long time. He was the Rebbe for 34 years. This is a court that lasted well over a half a century, into the 1920s. The Kapusta court was, uh, was around. Um, Reb Shleim Zalman was a, a, um, was a strong leader, he had some, some of the famous uh, Chabad Hasidim of the 19th century were actually Kapuster Chabad Hasidim. The chronicler, the historian, the in-house historian, we'll call him, of Chabad Hasidus, Chaim Meir Heilman, who wrote the classic sefer on the history of the, the movement of Chabad Lubavitch, which is called Beis Rabbi, Beis Rabbi. It's one of the most important works in the history of the Chabad that mainstream Lubavitch uh, held of very strongly. And scholars use it till today. It's still in print. It's a great book. So Chaim Heilman, who wrote it, was a Kapuster Chassid, um, one of the most famous uh, rabbis of the late 19th and early 20th century, was the Ragat Shaver Goin, Rabbi Yosef Rosen, who was the Rav Dvinsk of the, the, Lubavitch, the Chabad Chassidim, in Dvinsk, in Latvia, and he was a Kapuster Chassid. He was a Kapuster Chabad Chassid, and um, Kapust was influential, it was probably larger than Lubavitch, 
and and the and the uh, the Ragatshaver in his capacity as the Rav in Dvinsk, he was the Rav of the Hasidic community. Now, what Hasidic community lived in Dvinsk, right? Gera Hasidim did not live in Dvinsk, and uh, definitely not any Tanzer Hasidim or uh, or any Hungarian Hasidim. So the only type of Hasidim who lived up in Dvinsk were Chabad Hasidim. But at that time that he became the Rabbi, so there's all these different Chabads floating around. So he was the the, the, the Rabbi of the Chabad Hasidim in Dvinsk, but it was mainly Kapuster Hasidim. So it's important to keep in mind when we when we you know, throw around the terms, that's what we're talking about. Rav Zalman, this Rebbe of Kapust, when he dies, his son Rav Yudalei becomes a Kapusta Rebbe, but Kapust was mainly continued by brothers of Rav Shleim Zalman, not his sons. Um, his sons also. He had a son whose name was Rav Shalom Dayuber of Rachiche. Rachiche was a center of Kapusta Hasidus. He was a big Paisik, a Halachic uh, of renown. Um, he was he, um, in fact, uh, two two other Chabad Hasidim started off by him, by this Rav Shalom Daiber in the world of Kapust, Rav Shloim Yosef Zevin, Rav Zevin, who later was very close with the Rebbe Rashab, and uh, later came to uh, Yerushalayim and was a prominent rabbinic personality here in Israel, but he starts off in Kapust. And Rav Zevin himself was a very... Um, fascinating personality, his activities as uh, in the rabbinic world in, in communist Russia, and his later turn to Zionism in his later years when he comes to Israel and his activities for rabbinic scholarship for the Encyclopedia Talmudis and other activities, a brilliant man, and um, a lot, a lot. Of, so he starts off in Kapust also. And another one who starts off in Kapust there was also a fascinating personality. Each one, there's so much to talk about, was Hill Zeitlin. Hill Zeitlin starts off in Kapust by this Rav Shalom Daivber, and he eventually leaves traditional Judaism, but then he comes back, and he's a bit of a mystic, a bit of, and he's, his center is in Warsaw, and he becomes a great writer on Kabbalistic works, and on the history of Hasidus, and on different Rebbes and Sadiqim, and he's a bit of a social critic also, and a religious reformer, and trying to bring, to revitalize Yiddishkeit in, in the Poland of the interwar period, especially in a place like Warsaw, which was the center of the Jewish world at the time, and he eventually gets killed by the Nazis in the Warsaw Ghetto. His, he had a son, Aaron Zeitlin, who uh, got out uh, before the war, and uh, Hill Zeitlin is, is also a great story. So he starts off in Kapus too. There was another brother who became the Kapusta Rebbe, Rabbi Shmaryo Noyach of Babroisk. And he becomes the Rebbe, the Kapusta Rebbe in Babroisk. And he's one of the leaders of Russian Jewry. And it's interesting, in the two, uh, in the 1910 St. Petersburg Rabbinic Conference, which I mentioned in a different episode, um, so there's all the leading rabbis of the Jewish people in Russia. A lot of famous rabbis participated in that conference in St. Petersburg, which the Tsar called for to you know regulate Jewish policy. So what's famous from one of the one of the many famous things about that conference was the position that the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Rebbe in of Chabad and Lubavitch, took in in a in a in a, a very strong position against uh, reforming the rabbinate, against having rabbis um, know Russian or any other uh, general knowledge. Well, Rabbi Shmaryo Noyach of Babraisk, a Rebbe, took a less extreme position. And he was 
he was he took the which was the mainstream the majority position of most of the rabbis at the conference that under the circumstances and in order for the traditional rabbis to maintain their position in the rabbinate they should learn Russian and they should and they should have an element of general knowledge so that the czar's government can license them and continue to license them to be rabbis official rabbis so he, here you have within the Chabad movement the Kapusta Rebbe is taking a different position than the Lubavitcher Rebbe and they both are speaking in the name of Chabad. He's the last Kapusta Rebbe. He dies in 1923. By the time of his passing, it was after the Rebbe Rashab had already passed on uh, and uh, and it's uh, in, three years earlier. He died in 1920. And it's already talking about it's 1923. It's already Soviet Russia. So at this time, Chabad eventually unites under the leadership of Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak the Rayats. Um, the movement essentially has to go underground because the communists go after them, which is also a whole story. Um, but Kapust in its heyday had most of the Chabad Hasidim Rishleim Zalman, that earlier Rebbe that I mentioned that the ni- in the nineteenth century, uh, the the big the the the, the Rebbe who was for a very long time for thirty four years. He he believed that the uh, that the that his his version of Chabad was the true way of the Alter Rebbe. Kapust brought back the the crown of glory to what it was supposed to be. He was a very humble person, a very scholarly, very modest, very you know brilliant individual. Wrote a bunch of sfarim and um, and was an influential leader on on Hasidus in Russia during that time. Um, the Kapust eventually absorbs in those other smaller branches, Nezhin, Liadi, sometimes it went the other way, sometimes Liadi, and, or Nezhin rather, absorbed in some Kapust Hasidim. There was, it was somewhat of a fluid movement that went around, but eventually Lubavitch does regain prominence. In the later years of the Rashab, the fifth Rebbe, um, both because of his strong leadership, he also took a, a strong stand in politics in, as far as Russian Jewry was concerned. He had a strong connections in St. Petersburg as far as vis-a-vis the, the Tsarist government. And mainly because of education, because of the focus of the Rebbe Rashab on his opening of the Taimchei Tamimim Yeshiva in Lubavitch in 1897. And then eventually it takes off and becomes very prominent in other branches of Taimchei Tamimim. And Taimchei Tamimim really is, is reforming, uh, um, Jewish education in Russia and bringing a a yeshiva with Hasidus, which Taim itself is a great story, but Taim also brings the centrality of Lubavitch back to the Chabad movement and later to the decline of the other branches of Chabad at the time and eventually to, of Kapust as well. So that's a little bit about the branching out of, of Chabad during the time and in the Kapust Hasidus. So this was Yehudi Gaber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com for questions, comments, sources, and eventually back to tours and trips. Stay safe and healthy. You can subscribe now to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at jsoundbites, and I hope you enjoy.